welcome to this week's episode of The Homeschool How-To. I'm Cheryl, and I invite you to join me on my quest to find out why are people homeschooling? How do you do it? How does it differ from region to region? And should I homeschool my kids? Stick with me as I interview homeschooling families across the country to unfold the answers to each of these questions week by week. With us today, I have Amber from Idaho. Amber, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me today. So Amber, tell us where you are in your homeschooling journey. So I might be a little bit different than some of your other guests. I am on the other end of homeschooling. So all of my kids have graduated from high school. I have two that have graduated from college and three that are seeking degrees right now. So Awesome. Wow. I can't imagine what that must feel like. It must be very bittersweet looking at this bond that you had with them and being with them every single day and kind of not having that anymore, or it's different at least. It is different. Um, I love mentoring homeschool families, so I still keep my fingers in everything. And now I have two grandbabies. And so I feel like I'm starting the cycle over, which is really fun. Oh, that is good. That is really nice to hear. So what even got you into homeschooling in the first place? Because it's kind of like had a a big boom right now because people kind of see after COVID, I didn't like what was going on. And over the last couple of years with different um, vaccine requirements in, in certain states. So I can understand, you know, why we have the boom going on now. But what brought you into the homeschooling world way back when, when you started? Yes. A long time ago, actually. So um, it's a little interesting. That was not my original plan. I planned to just put my kids in school. And in fact, I put my oldest in preschool. I did the same thing that everybody else was doing that lived around me. I chose a preschool, stuck her in there, and she seemed to have a good experience. And then I sent her to kindergarten, and it was kind of a different world. It She wasn't very happy there. We had lots of tears in the morning and in the evening, and she didn't really like to talk to anyone. And I don't fault the teacher. I We were living in Las Vegas at the time, and this poor kindergarten teacher had 30 kids in the morning and 30 kids in the afternoon and no aid. Wow. And I tried to be in there as much as I could as a mom, but it was it, it was challenging for sure. And so it was actually my husband that came home, and he said, I think we should homeschool. And I was like, what are you thinking? Like that had never even crossed my mind. Yeah. And I was pregnant with our fourth child and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And he's like, I think you need to think about it. And I'm like, okay, I'll think about it. And I took a whole year. I put her in first grade. That really wasn't any better. There was like double kids in there. It was tight, 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 and um, I read everything I could find, and um, and then I said, yeah, this is what we need to do, and so I pulled her. She came home in second grade. I had a kindergartner, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, and wow. that's when we started our homeschooling journey. Were there any other people in your area doing this at the time? And it's not like you could just hop on Facebook and find a local group. You know, how did you even find people? That exactly. Were it wasn't like that at all. And um, I didn't know very many at all. Yeah. And so I really felt alone. And there were several moms that were not happy with me, to be honest. And they're like, this is the biggest mistake you'll ever make. And Uh, The funny thing is, is some of those very vocal moms came back several years later and said, this is what I need to do with my child. Can you help me now? Wow. And so it was, it was good for us, but I networked a lot and I was able to find other moms and families that were doing the same thing. And we were able to build a community that really benefited and helped my children and our family. Oh, that's awesome. And that was in Las Vegas? That was where we started, was in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what did your family think at the time? 
Like, did, did you have parents um, or si- siblings yes, of your own? Yes, so I had parents, siblings, and um, it wasn't for them, and nobody else decided to do it, but they did support me. They oh, said, okay, if this is what you want to do, we support you in what you decide to do. So I appreciate them. Yeah, because I imagine, I mean, even today, it's, you know, even as popular as homeschooling is, there are still people like, your kids will be weird. So I can't even imagine <laughs> back in like the 80s and 90s starting doing it. I can't, yeah. the pushback you must have gotten from people. Um, now, where did you even go with like curriculum? Did you, did they have multiple curriculums or was it just like, here's your homeschooling curriculum? This is it. <laughs> yeah. It was a little bit different back then. Um, there wasn't the internet like it is now. And so there was a company called, and it's still around, it's called Rainbow Resources. Okay. They've always sold a lot of curriculum and they would mail me a catalog that was huge. It's like the size of Moby Dick, right? And I would flip through that. That was my nightly reading. And I would flip through that, read all of the reviews and everything that was there and choose curriculum from there. But I pieced a lot of things together. And they didn't have as many options as they have now. Yeah. And I wonder if it's almost worse with so many options because parents are left like super overwhelmed. I know for myself, it was like, what do I even do? Um, there's so many different avenues I could take that I feel like whatever I choose is going to be the wrong one. And, um, that's where it was kind of nice coming into contact with Katie Berry that I had an episode on episode four. And I did, um, in an Instagram live with her as well about what curriculum to choose for my son and why. And we went over like what each one is. So if anybody wants to check that out, it is saved to my Instagram page. Um, cause I kind of said, this is what this curriculum does. This is what this one goes over. This is what this one goes over, but it is so overwhelming. And Katie kind of broke it down nicely. She was like, there's no bad curriculum. If they made it this far, like it's just what works for you and your family. And I still think that's yeah. hard because a lot of times you don't like you wouldn't know if the curriculum works for you or not until you've dabbled in it a little bit, right? And by right. that point you spent the money. Yeah. Do you have advice? Absolutely. And I I think the best curriculum is the one you'll use. Mm-hmm. So, a curriculum that you buy that sits on the shelf isn't helpful. And I love curriculum. That's like my thing. And in fact, I've worked as a curriculum, you know, specialist for several years. And I've dabbled in so many different ones that um, I have a good sense of a lot of them, even the newer ones. But like Katie Berry, I love when new homeschooling families reach out to someone who's done it because they might even have examples that you can look at. I often tell people that I counsel for curriculum that I'm like a wedding dress owner. Like I've had, you know, daughters that have gotten married. And when I go into a wedding shop, there are hundreds and hundreds of dresses. And I have this lady that we work with and she looks at my daughter and she says, what is your dream dress? And then she explains it. And then she pulls out like seven and says, okay, look at these. Tell me what you like and what you don't like. And within an hour, we've like narrowed it down to the most beautiful, perfect dress. And that is the experience you can have when you work with someone that has been a couple of years ahead of you in the homeschooling world, right? And and they can help you narrow those down and um, help you prevent wasted money as well. Yeah. What Katie had me pick was, um, Hagerty for phonics, like an extra component to the regular reading. Um, and then for reading, she had me get all about reading and for math, the good and the beautiful. And that's all I do. Just those three things and kind of sing a months of the year and days of the week song and kind of look at a calendar. And that's, 
all I've started with, we are four weeks in. That's I started over the summer, although when this comes out, I don't know, um, you know, we might be into the fall, but um, I like it. I like the curriculum. I've noticed that like the first couple of weeks was so hard to get my son to transition into like, this is our new way of doing things. A lot of pushback, a lot of like, me blowing up and yelling at him or, you know, um, bribing him with things. And, you know, we did a prize <laughs> chart and, you know, they seem to work. Um, but now that we've done four weeks, he's gotten better knowing that like, this is just the way our days go now, four days a week. I do it so mm-hmm. that I can do it through the summer and take, you know, weeks off here or there if someone's sick or whatnot. Um, but, to the people who are just starting out, like it does get better. And I'm only four weeks in. I mean, I know that's so kind of ignorant to even say, but just from week one to week five, it has gotten so much easier, right? I didn't think I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do this. In fact, a couple of times I go, I'm calling the school. You'll be going there in September. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, did you have that experience with your kids? Yes. And I, and I do think that's a good rule of thumb is not to give up on anything, like at least for a month, because you just need that practice and that, you know, and that change. But, um, yes, I did have that experience frequently. And one thing I love to tell families is when you're having those bad days and things don't seem like they're going well at all. And just like you said, I'm calling the school that doesn't mean you've made the wrong choice. Okay. Because homeschooling is hard. It is. But it is so rewarding. And there are things that you can get out of homeschooling that, um, that honestly you can't get any other way. And so when those hard days come, it's okay to recognize that that's part of it. And it will get better and you can pivot and change. And one thing that like, if I could tell myself, you know, if I could go back and tell myself again, right. That being a mom comes first Mm -hmm. and the academics come second. Okay. And sometimes it's really hard. It's really easy to get wrapped up in the academics. Like, I don't want to fail you and I don't want to not teach you everything you need to know. And this is my responsibility and it feels really heavy. Yes. But your relationship with your child is absolutely top. You know, it's the most important thing. And so we don't ever want those academics to shadow that relationship with your child. And so, um, sometimes it's okay to take a step back Mm -hmm. and go slower. And if you dial into, okay, we're going to start school and it's going to look like this on day one Mm -hmm. and it falls apart, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Be like, okay, we're going to take it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. We're just going to have a small morning routine for the next week and a half. And then we'll add something else to that. And then we'll add something else to that. And really gently move into this homeschooling experience so that that relationship with mom is still there. Does that make sense? I'm glad that you said that because especially with social media now and Instagram and all that, um, you can very, so you pick your curriculum, right? And that's one thing. Like, And like I said, she told me to do Mm -hmm. like, a phonics and a reading and a math. Okay. So those are the basic skills, but then you, um, see these other people that are homeschool moms have been doing it for years and they're selling products like, you know, for, you know, for instance, um, Pam Barnhill, your morning basket. And, and it's like, well, this sounds wonderful. And then, you know, Treehouse schoolhouse and they have a beautiful Bible thing and, you know, all the, and, and a, and a connected Christmas and all these things that sound so wonderful. And you're like, I want to do it all. But before you know it, you are right. drowning in curriculum and then you're overwhelmed and your kids mm-hmm. are bored with it because it's so much. And so you made a good point. You start out very slow. And then if you feel that 
you know, you can add in something else or even take a break from one thing and do the, you know, a connected Christmas or that sort of stuff where you're not overwhelmed. And that's something, yeah, I have definitely felt like there's so many things and and the Tuttle twins, I love their stuff and I want to add that in. And it's like, but then Mm -hmm. it's so much that we definitely have to take a step back and think about, okay, well, what are the bare essentials that we need? And then when we're okay with that, we'll add in little bits. (laughs) That's a really good point. Yeah. And you can, you can take things in seasons as well, right? So you can say, okay, for the next six weeks, what is it that I want to focus on? And that will be my goal for the next six weeks. And then I will reevaluate, right? So maybe it is an immersion into the Tuttle Twin, you know, American history or their other books or videos. We're going to focus on that for the next six weeks. And then I'm going to reevaluate and we're going to have this connective Christmas during the next six weeks. And so it doesn't have to be add, 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 add. Mm. It can be, this is the focus for this six weeks. And then we're going to pivot and focus on something else for the next six weeks. You might still have that that base, right? Of like, okay, we're still going to have math and language arts, but I'm going to pivot and focus differently every six weeks. Yeah. And especially when you're doing it at home, you're not spending six hours a day doing this stuff. So if it's only an hour or an hour and a half, you have, you do have that leeway to take things out, put things in, even if you are taking out, um, phonics, something essential, but it's just for a little bit of time and then you'll be putting it back in. And that, that's really cool. Um, How, let's see, so what did your days look like with four young kids and homeschooling? I know this is a big question for me before I actually started homeschooling. So four weeks and before, and even still, it's like I have a kindergarten, like a five-year-old. So (laughs) homeschooling a five-year-old is very different than homeschooling middle school and high school kids. So what was a day in your life? What did it actually look like? Yeah, so I ended up with five kids. Oh my so goodness, that's right. I forgot to ask you in the beginning. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, so when they were little, it was it was busy. It was very busy. And I was pretty structured. They just thrived off of that type of structure where, you know, we got up at the same time. We, And then I would rotate kids. So one kid would be in charge of a little kid while I worked with an older kid and another child was doing independent work. And so we kind of did this rotation where everybody got a turn with mom, everybody got a turn with the baby, everybody got a turn doing independent work. And we kind of just rotated that. I also had like um, toy bins that were daily, like there was a Monday bin and a Tuesday bin and a Wednesday bin. So those toys only came out once a week and they only came out during school hours. So they were exciting and new, things like that. Um, When we started, we were living in Las Vegas and we had a pool. So there was a definite reward once everything was done. The kids were in the pool by the afternoon really worked off a lot of that energy and um and we had an evening routine as well so dinner and baths we had read aloud scripture those types of things that brought us together again as a family and so it wasn't like okay school hours this 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 right it was it was a way of life mm. that we processed through and that we um enjoyed together And that's another piece of advice I would throw out that I had a problem with is I would plan too far in advance. It just ends up falling apart. (laughs) So, you know, you might have this six week overview, but like two weeks max is probably the most you should schedule out because things come up, somebody gets sick, there's a doctor's appointment those kinds of things. And so just trying to be a little fluid with your routine. And I like to almost call them rhythms instead of a routine where we have a rhythm of our day. 
So it's not necessarily we're up at this time, we're doing math at nine, we're doing language arts at 10. It's more of this rhythm of we're going to get up, then we're going to do breakfast, then we're doing reading, and then we're doing... And so it, it rhythms into what goes next, but it's not so rigid as far as like time. And then where did you find time to even cook for five and yourself and if your husband was home and, you know, breakfast, lunch, sometimes when you're cooking breakfast and by the time you clean up, it's time to get lunch prepared again and then you clean up and it's time to get dinner ready again. How do you even fit that on top of laundry and vacuuming and grocery shopping into your day? Did you have tricks? Yeah. So... What I did is um, when we ate breakfast, while the kids were eating breakfast, I packed lunches in lunch sacks and I made dinner. And so I either put dinner in a crock pot or I put it into some kind of casserole type of thing, stuck it in the fridge. But then I cleaned the kitchen and I was done until dinner. So the kids could eat their lunch sacks whenever they wanted so they could get their own snacks. They could have lunch when they wanted. And then dinner was already ready to put in the oven at dinner time. I just ordered my copy of A Connected Christmas from Treehouse Schoolhouse. Lindsay, the creator of Treehouse Schoolhouse, who I interviewed in episode 21, writes, I have always wanted the Christmas season to be beautiful and nostalgic for my children. My desire for this season is to mark their hearts with traditions and give them warm memories of togetherness in our home. Most of all, I want the Advent season to draw them to their savior. Out of these desires, a connected Christmas was born. I mean, come on, who doesn't want that for their kids? How nice does that sound? So what is included in A Connected Christmas? Well, it comes with a 42-page teacher's guide with weekly grids, daily lesson plans, recipes, and handcraft instructions. I'm pretty sure handcraft is just fancy for arts and crafts. And then it comes with a set of student sheets with scripture, artwork, poetry, and hymn display sheets for copywork. And then you also get a narration notebook. Now you can get this with a digital download or you can purchase the hard copy. And really it's just a three-week Advent study designed for the whole family. So whether you make this part of your morning routine or something that you guys do after dinner, it is such a beautiful way to bring these warm memories to the Christmas season for you and your family. A Connected Christmas is an invitation to gather your family and celebrate beauty and delight through festive carols, stories, poetry, art, baking, and handcrafts. It's about family and it's about Jesus. It's about connecting hearts to the heart of Christmas. To purchase your copy, just go to treehouseschoolhouse.com slash the homeschool how-to podcast and use the homeschool how-to podcast to get 10% off your entire order. Or you can go to the show's description and click on the link there using promo code the homeschool how-to podcast. I really hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. I taught my kids how to do a lot of the housework. So they all knew how to do their own laundry right around like between, I started teaching them around eight and, um, and then everyone had a zone that they had to clean every day. So if they were the family room, they had to clean up the family room. If they were the school room, they had to clean up the school room. And so right around like five o'clock as I was putting dinner in, everybody had to go around and clean their own zones. And, and then we always cleaned as a family on Saturday as well. Oh, that's awesome. And did your kids um, have a lot of outside friends? Did they do, I mean, sports would be hard with five. No, they all did, um, they usually did some kind of musical thing. So they took piano lessons, some learned violin, some learned the flute. Um, They did dance. Almost all of my kids did dance or gymnastics. Um, and they all kind of learned a skill to like a trade. So sewing or teaching piano, one child learned how to code on the computer, you know, things like that. Oh, that's so cool. So we did a lot of stuff outside of the home. Um, but we were done with school in the early afternoon. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm going back to like, 
Even dinner. Okay, so you would make it at breakfast time. Did you have like Mondays we always eat this, Tuesdays we always eat this? Sometimes I did that. It kind of like, I didn't always like the same thing, but I did meal plan ahead of time. So I would meal plan ahead of time, grocery shop, so I had the food that I needed. I find it hard to even find a lot. Like seven different meals. And. (laughs) <laughs> we just didn't, I didn't grow up in a house that cooked a lot. Um, you know, there's like so many meats and my husband's not really into yeah. pasta too much. So it's, <laughs> I wouldn't know how to feed that many people. <laughs> we did lots of soups. We did a lot of barbecue. We did a lot of tacos and, you mm-hmm. know, those kinds of things. Too. Oh, awesome. So um, getting back to the curriculum now with technology, there's a lot coming out that is online curriculum. What are your thoughts on that? Um, for me personally, I think there's a lot of advantages for certain subjects, but I wouldn't necessarily put all of the subjects online for mm-hmm. my kids. So um, I really love the math because it's when you are trying to teach multiple children that's one subject where it can be very adaptive to their level and it's grading them and teaching them how to do it and moving them at a, at a pace that works for them. So if I were be if I was doing it now, I would definitely consider a math online program for each of my kids. There's a lot of things that I can do as a group, like history and science, which I love to do um, all together. But that math definitely needs to be leveled to their grade. And so um, I think online math is brilliant and wonderful now. (laughs) Um, So, but I do think there are a lot of resources out there and you would just need to find what works best for your family. Yeah. And I had read or maybe I heard it on a podcast recently and I made a Instagram post about it, how, so I had always thought like, even for just screen time, you know, Oh, we don't want our kids to have a lot of screen time. If any, because of, you know, being sedentary, they should be out moving. And another reason being, you know, they're putting messages subliminal messages or even right in your face messages to the kids. And if the parents aren't there, we're we're unaware that they're getting these messages. But thirdly, I heard on the podcast how the switching of all the screens is actually like a dopamine hit. And in a developing young brain, their brain is getting trained to expect that dopamine hit. Kind of like every time you look at your phone, you're looking for a dopamine hit by either, you know, a text message or notification that someone did something, you know, liked a comment or whatever of yours. So I, I never thought of it from that aspect before of just the even playing video games or watching TV. The more a screen changes, the more their brain is getting used to that. And when they're looking at, say, the you know, in a school, the chalkboard or even reading a book, they're not getting those dopamine hits. So if they're used to that, it can almost give a, an anxiety. I never mm-hmm. thought about that. And that is so profound, you know, when we think it's just these little like, oh, he can yeah. sit for a few minutes. And I'm guilty of it too. You know, we, we don't do a lot of it, but um, yeah, I never thought of it in that aspect before. Yeah. And I, I have heard about that as well. And it's definitely a concern, which I think... Um, is even more important for families and parents to teach children how to use technology appropriately mm. and to be able to self, you know, regulate their use of it. Mm. And so I think there's a balance there between yeah. um, I don't want screens for my kids and too much screens for my kids, I think there needs to be a balance where there's an opportunity for you to teach and um, and provide rules and things like that so that they don't leave the home without that knowledge and right. then spiral down once they have access to it. 
Does that make yeah, because that's what I worry about too. Okay, we'll say we don't have any screens in the house at all, and then once he leaves the home, say he leaves at eighteen, it's gonna be, you know, so overwhelming. You you know, we've all seen those people in college that were <laughs> hidden under a rock, and they get out there and they're drinking and they're partying like crazy because they haven't experienced anything. So it is finding that fine line, and like you said regulating ourselves because how many of us adults really know how to use technology wisely you know probably right. very few and this is a different right like and for me in particular I was raising a generation in technology with technology I did not have mm, and so yeah. it that was a very different thing I was trying to navigate yeah. where my kids you know, they have cell phones, they have those smartphones. And so now they're raising kids that also have them. But my generation, it was challenging because we didn't grow up with any of that. Right. And we really have had to learn to navigate it. And you still have to, right? Because the technology continues to change. Yeah. And so just trying to stay one step ahead of it and... And be able to teach it. Yeah, it's hard. I never used Instagram before the podcast, but that's kind of how they tell you to market podcasts. So it's like, I'm still try, trying to stay afloat with that. And it's so funny because people, you know, they'll send you ads for, oh, can we edit your podcast for you? Can we? And I'm like, no, can you teach me how to use Instagram though? <laughs> like I have the editing <laughs> stuff down. Yeah. I can hook every microphones up and all that, but I don't know how to use Instagram. <laughs> so, I'm learning a- too. I, I just started an Instagram account as well. It's called storybook umbrella and just, you know, sharing my love of homeschooling and books and things like that. But it is a new avenue that I am learning as well. And my kids are helping me. <laughs> Oh, see, mine are too young for that. And my nieces and nephews <laughs> pretend that they don't use it so that <laughs> they don't have to teach me. So, ah, yeah, yeah. I'll, one day it'll all click, but I'm chugging along. It will work. Yeah. Um, and I'll have to make sure to follow you. I, I knew that that was your email um, address. I didn't realize you had the Instagram mm-hmm. account. So what sort of stuff do you provide on Instagram for Storybook Umbrella? Yeah, so I offer different book ideas and I'll... I'll take one book and then give you ideas on how to use it, like in reading and math and science and history and those kinds of things, homeschooling support, teacher support that oh, awesome. I'm, I'm growing, I'm figuring it out, Yeah, but it's no, fun. That's... So it's, it's a new avenue for me to share the things that I love. Yeah. Can you do one off the top of your head? Like right now where we read Brown Bear, Brown Bear last night. Like what would be an example of something you would? Yeah. So I would learn about colors and matching colors for math. I would learn about different animals, habitats. I would learn, um, let's see, brown bear. I I could probably find a poem that would go with some of the animals that you would go with. Okay. I'd also try to find some fine art that would also highlight some of those animals that you could put in um let me think what else could I do definitely poetry rhyming repeating words those kinds of things I have to say I'm not sure that I did an ounce of poetry in my 12 13 14 17 years of schooling maybe it was like trickled (laughs) in I don't think I ever did but it's Mm -hmm. so big and prevalent in the homeschooling community and Um, there must be a reason. Can you like enlighten me on that? Like, why is poetry important? Well, I think poetry is important because it, it is the beauty of language. And not only can you hear it, but you can see it in the description. And there is a lot of benefit from learning to memorize as well. And so Poetry is such an, a natural way of building your memory and learning how to memorize that I think it is also helpful. I also think memorizing poetry that helps teach character 
teach um, things that can help them in life, they'll come back to you. So my dear grandpa, who did pass away several years ago, he learned poetry when he was young. And even in his 90s, he could recite those poems to us and teach us what he had learned from that poetry. And so I think it's just a powerful um, avenue to teach multiple parts of language and memory. So. I think it's I do remember learning a haiku. So I can't say I didn't learn it at all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I do remember that part. Um, And yeah, we were reading, uh, I think from the Read Aloud Revival book list, we were reading the Winnie the Pooh poetry book, which I here I am thinking it's just an actual like chapter book. And I opened it up and I was like, oh. All right, I guess we're reading poems. But my son really liked them, and I was surprised. And, you know, it, they were very fun to read. Yeah. So I was, I'm happy that there is a deeper meaning. <laughs> I knew I was missing yeah. something. <laughs> well, well, I'm sure there's more to it than what I can articulate. But Do you think your kids, were they happy being homeschooled now that they're older and looking back on life? Yes, I think they enjoyed it. And um, they appreciated that opportunity. And I know most, you know, they're definitely thinking about homeschooling their own kids. So I think it's something that will continue. Well, now that it's popular, they have to. (laughs) Why do you think, (laughs) why do you think that homeschooling has become so much bigger over, I mean, when you started homeschooling, it was probably just after it became like legal. It wasn't even legal in a lot of states or, or the country in what the 80s. That's true. Yeah. 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 So it, I started closer in the 90s. Okay. Um, and, but I think COVID did really give homeschooling a push because it was an opportunity where kids were forced home and parents had an opportunity to practice, right? To really see if they yeah. liked it. And I think a lot of parents were surprised by how much they enjoyed it. And um, and so I really do think that was part of the boom of it. I think people homeschool for all different kinds of reasons, right? There, There's just a myriad of, ex, of reasons that bring their children home. But I think what keeps children home is that parents find how much they enjoy their children. They enjoy the opportunity to spend time with them, to teach them the things that they love and that they want to instill in their kids. Yeah, I... When I started the podcast, I was always under the impression that by each grade, there's a certain amount of things that a child should know or needs to know. I shouldn't say should, needs to know. By each grade, you know, they have Mm -hmm. to know this. By this grade, they have to know that. And since starting the podcast, it's like, it's like an unspoken rule, like, There's nothing they need to know by any age. Surprise. It's totally up to you. (laughs) You, you know, and as the parents homeschooling, you want to give them the most that you absolutely can. But I think that might take the pressure off a little bit that, no, they don't have to know. I mean, look at when I was in third grade, we had to know cursive by third grade. Well, clearly that's changed. So um, it's more just. (laughs) You know, the things that they have to know in the schools, that's for other reasons, funding and test scores and whatnot. But in the Mm. grand scheme of life, they don't have to know anything by any amount of age. You, like you said, you teach them the things that you love that, you know, and then you see where their loves are and explore further in that. And, you know, that is just so eye-opening to realize. Yeah. And looking back, I kind of at the beginning when I was talking, it Sometimes it feels heavy that you're responsible for that. But when I recognized that my job or my responsibility 
wasn't to give them all the knowledge that they needed. My responsibility was to teach them to love to learn and how to learn so that if they want to know something, they have the tools to teach themselves how to do that. And if I can do that, then they will have all the information and the knowledge that they need to accomplish their mission in life. And that's what's important. I remember this funny story about my son. He was in front of a computer like over and over again, and it actually was really irritating me. And I'm like, why are you always on the computer? And finally, one day I had had it and I'm like, that is enough. Get off the computer, go outside. You can't possibly be doing anything on that computer that's good. And I'm like, what are you doing anyway? And he's like, well, I'm teaching myself how to code. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's actually probably a good skill. And so I like a lot better than what most teenagers are doing on the computer in their room. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Exactly. But he's actually a really good coder now and a skill that he can use and has been paid for to use. And so, but I'd given him the tools to have a desire to learn things and the ability to teach himself. And that is what's most important. And that's what you're trying to create. Absolutely. Offer your children. How do you think your life would be different if you never homeschooled? That is a hard question because it has been so much a part of my life and my heart that um, it would be different. It would be very different. Two things that stand out to me that I know for sure my life would be different. One, I think the relationships with my family would be different. It just takes time to develop those relationships. And homeschooling gave us more time Mm -hmm. to develop those relationships. The other is my own learning, my own love of books and learning and the things that I learned in the experience of teaching my children, I would not have that if I hadn't homeschooled. So those are the two that I know stand right out as being different. Yeah. And I'm at the, the part in my homeschooling life where, you know, I've done kind of what society said for the last 15 years, I've worked in government work and, you know, worked my way up and had my second child and just took an extended leave. And I keep saying to myself, like, can I really leave a job? But it's, it's taken probably a good two or three years since I started even thinking about it, you know, or well, since they started masking, yeah, solid two years. Cause when they started masking three-year-olds in New York is when we took them out of daycare. Um, And that's when I said, well, I got to figure something else out because if I don't like the way the school is making us parent our kids, then we have to, you know, not put our kids in a place that we, we don't, you know, agree with. So, um, really coming to this realization that like moms aren't really supposed to be at an office all day long. And I, not to put that down, I did it for 15 years. You know, my son was in daycare, but it's like they... They train you, society trains you to think that that's the right path. And most people, when you say, I'm thinking of leaving government work, they think you're crazy. And what about your pension? And, you know, just the health insurance stuff. Um, it It's really sad that society has trained women, especially, to think that this is normal and to not be with your kids all day. And I know that there's any variation, right? But I'm just saying, and and like I've fallen for it. I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't do it or put anyone down that does do it, but it's just, we have been trained to think that's normal. And if you go back just 50 years, you know, one generation, one to two generations, they would think you're crazy to leave your kids in someone else's care at six weeks old, you know, 
let alone go back a hundred years or two hundred years or two thousand years. I mean, it's it's only so recent that we think being in an office all day long with someone else with our kids the majority of the week is normal. I don't have a question. I've I just think grateful. it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I am very grateful that I was in a position where I could stay home mm-hmm. and be with my kids all the day. Yeah. So I'm I think for, for the people that tell me I'm going to regret it because of the way my pension will be affected, I think um, I I don't think on my deathbed I'm going to say I wish I spent more time at a cubicle. You know, I, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yep. Those relationships are the most important and the most valuable. And so it's just a wonderful opportunity if, if you can to spend that time with your family. And do you have any advice as we kind of roll into the 45 minute mark here? Um, it's crazy how fast these chats go. Um, but since you are on the other side of it, what would you tell moms like me that are, you know, on the brink of leaving a career and doing this thing that we never thought we would do? Uh, What's your advice? Um, I think I've mentioned it a little bit Mm -hmm. throughout this, but my advice would be to always put mom first. Be a mom first before you're the teacher second. Um, there was a experience I had early on when I was homeschooling and I was struggling with one of my kids and we were knocking heads about something. And I went into the laundry room and I called my husband at work and I was in tears and I'm like, I just don't know if I can do this. And I remember he told me, he said, Amber, your relationship with the kids isn't worth it. So either figure it out or send them back to school. And that hit me really hard. And so I said, I committed then. I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to make sure that my relationship with my children is the most important. Because if they learn everything and don't have a relationship with me, then to me, that would be a failure. Yeah. And so sometimes it's hard to not get caught up in the panic of it all. And yet, um, that's what's most important. And it's little by little. Your children will learn drop by drop. Not a flood, just drop by drop. And know that those little moments every day will add up to something amazing. I love that. And I've already seen little bits of that too. As you know, we were reading a book yesterday and my son looks at a word and goes, ack, <laughs> and he's trying to sound out the word accused. Um, and it was like <laughs> such a so proud cute. moment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you have advice what to do in the actual moment when you're butting the heads, when you are putting mom first? Yeah. So a couple of things I would recommend. One, take a break. You might just need a break. And make sure that you are putting into place moments where you can break. Be creative about that. Like if that means you and your best friend that's also homeschooling, you swap one day a week and you get a couple of hours, you want to make sure that you have time to regenerate your own um, your own well, right? And then two, this was something I learned, is to ask why. Oh. Why does your child feel this way? What is it that I'm not providing that's causing this? You know, what is it that they're really trying to tell you or that they really need? And sometimes I was really surprised by those responses. Um, 
just a funny story, actually. One of my kids was very upset and got really mad. And then I asked why, and they were upset that they didn't get school lunch because they didn't go to school. So we got some trays. I gave them a dollar at the beginning of the day. They paid me the lunch lady. They went through the line at the kitchen in the kitchen and they we did this for like a week and it totally filled their bucket and that's just what they needed. Wow. And so sometimes we just need to ask why and help them learn how to communicate that to that to us. So Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, cuz we don't th- when especially as moms, we've got so many things balancing on our head, our shoulders, our head, everything that yeah, you you don't sit there and think, well, let me just ask him why he's reacting this way or she's reacting that way. I mean, my daughter's one. I can already see she's going to be a handful where I'm going to be asking why a lot. <laughs> so, um, and it's and it's yeah. genuinely asking. I mean, sometimes I'll be like, why are you acting like right. this? It's, you have to <laughs> yeah. come back and say, you know, and, and like you said, you got to help them get there because a lot of times we – right we we act a certain way and we don't even know why so that's really beautiful uh i love that i will definitely be taking i'll be writing that one down stealing that for an instagram post no (laughs) i'll be writing it down so i can look at it all the time um is there anything else you wanted to make sure we touch base on and you gave some great Um, advice i think we've talked a lot about good stuff so i am i think we're good but i would just Yeah, I would just encourage if you're feeling the pull to take the leap. Because when I started homeschooling, I literally felt like I was taking my children by the arm. I was stepping to the edge of a cliff and I was about to leap with them. Yeah, that is. But it wasn't until I took the leap that I realized we had been given wings and you can do it yeah you can do it there's community there's support and if you feel that pull and desire I just invite you to try oh thank you thank you I love it thank you so much for meeting with us today you have had such valuable information and advice and I will try to even jot a lot of it down to put into the show notes just because I I feel like a lot of this needs to be written down and if anyone wants to get a hold of you where can they find you um you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at storybook umbrella and you can find me at storybookumbrella.com awesome thank you so much Amber it's been a pleasure Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Homeschool How-To. If you've enjoyed what you heard and you'd like to contribute to the show, please consider leaving a small tip using the link in my show's description. Or if you'd rather, please use the link in the description to share this podcast with a friend or on your favorite homeschool group Facebook page. Any effort to help us keep the podcast going is greatly appreciated. Thank you for tuning in and for your love of the next generation.